0: dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, hi i'm ashley barlow host of the ashley barlow podcast and i welcome you here to our very first podcast you have found the right spot you are here for a reason and i congratulate you for showing up today and for making the commitment to learn you are going to have such a great experience following this podcast What we're going to do today is I'm going to tell you about this business, Ashley Barlow Company, and I'm going to explain to you what the real heart and soul of the company is. And we're also going to take some time to dive a little bit into what the content will look like. And ultimately, I hope that I can introduce myself to you because we're about to go down a really fun path together. So the heart and soul of the company, Ashley Barlow Company, will be educational training videos that will help parents, professionals, school staff, and members of the community to educate themselves on special education topics and special education advocacy. This course will be perfect for everybody. Whether you're a doctor, or you're a coach, or you're a tutor, or you're a physical therapist, you're a teacher, you're an instructional assistant, you're a parent, or you're a self-advocate, this is the right place for you. We know that you are feeling anxious, that you are feeling um, like you just crave information, that the information doesn't make any sense, that it's not sequential, what's out there right now. We hear that and I want to provide you that information. I'll tell you first about my special education story because I have been where so many of you have been. I was a teacher, I taught for three years. I taught German and I'm certified to teach um, German from kindergarten to 12th grade. In the um, time that I spent in the classroom, I have taught every grade level except for fifth and sixth grade. And actually, after I went to law school, which is later in my story, um, but after I went to law school, I also taught freshmen through seniors in college. So from kindergarten until seniors in college, the only grade levels that I have missed are fifth and sixth grades. So in a very short teaching career, I got a lot of experience. Um, I felt like I really understood education. I did not have a whole lot of experience with special education, however, because I was a German teacher. When I had my second son, Jack, um, Jack had Down syndrome. And so, you know, in the first few years, Jack did early intervention services that last from age zero to age three. And then he entered preschool and it was this whole new world of acronyms and terms and people and teams and laws and teaching strategies. And I knew nothing about it. It felt like a foreign land. So I went from zero to three with these wonderful therapists that would come into my house and really counsel me on how to help Jack with his development. And then I ended up in this preschool and thought, who are these people? Why are they talking about my kid? How do they know about my child? And I've got a degree in education and I feel completely lost. How do other people do this? So what I did was I just dove in. I dove into the laws. I dove into the best practice manuals. I really dove in. I asked questions. I talked to people. I learned and learned and learned and learned and learned. And I still felt like I really didn't understand it from a big picture down to the the small little details. Um, and so we got out of preschool and Jack was going to kindergarten and we had a very, very long difficult discussion with our school district about inclusion. It was about as stressful as they can possibly come. Um, from my perspective, it lasted nine months. I was sick. I was um, anxious, I was frustrated, um, it really affected our dynamics in our house as I tried to figure out the information while also parenting and then figuring out the advocacy strategies and whatnot. And what I really realized was there is a lack of information for parents that need it now. Um, and so that this idea was born out of that, that feeling of hopelessness and desperation and a craving for sequential organized information. Um, So that's what I hope to provide you with Ashley Barlow Company and with these podcasts and the other services that will be available through the business. My heart for special education did not start with Jack, though. It's not only a 10-year-old heart that I've got. Um, When I was in kindergarten, I was introduced to a, a peer, a classmate named David, and David had a hearing impairment. And um, David and I just became friends. We, you know, I'm sure we like to do our sinners together and we like to play together. And um, actually there were two Davids in my class and I remember the other David and I befriending ourselves and we would talk about David number one and David number two or whatever. And um, our, our friendship really was formed in friendship, but, when we had academic time, David and I just kind of naturally sat next to one another. And that was, from my perspective, it was really because I enjoyed helping David in a really functional way that wasn't disruptive to the rest of the class. So if a teacher said something and David didn't catch what the teacher said, or if instructions came that um, David simply didn't hear, I enjoyed being able to talk to David and to support him um, in a way that wasn't dysfunctional or excuse Me wasn't um, disruptive to the rest of the class and was um, functional for David. A really beautiful friendship grew out of that foundation that we established in kindergarten. In fact, we went through first and second grade and we sat next to each other in every single class. They try to separate us and then we'd be like, well, we wanna to be together because somebody else would try to help David with stuff that he had missed auditorily. And, um, you know, they, they were more disruptive to the class. And so the teacher would say, well, how about if we just put Ashley next to you? So in third grade, they tried to separate us. And from my perspective, it was like two weeks in. And I remember saying to my mom, We need to be together. I miss him, I miss my friend, I miss being able to help him. I am worried about who is helping him um, and we need to be together. So for the rest of elementary school, they put us in the same class and we um, were just kind of this really beautiful team. then when I turned 15, I was in an accident myself. I was in a gas explosion and I sustained a physical um, injury. I have four broken vertebrae in my back. And through that experience, what really happened to me was I learned how to advocate for myself. I couldn't stand for an entire football game when my peers were standing at the football game. I could make a batch of cookies, but I couldn't clean up the the, the mess after, which was actually kind of convenient. Um, I um, really had a different outlook on life. You know, I knew people that had been that had broken the very first vertebra and the very last vertebra and had been paralyzed, and I did not have any paralysis. And I just really felt, um, I, basically, I instantaneously grew up, but I was still a 15-year-old, and my advocacy for myself really changed. And I'll tell you what um, kind of the the crux of that was, was I woke up the morning after my accident, June 27th of 1993. And my mom said to me, okay, here's the deal. You are probably going to feel pain forever. That's just a fact. And you are strong and you are um, very willed. And if we can get you through this without any pain, that will be a miracle. But you have two choices. You can be a victim or you can be a survivor. And it's really up to you. And that's going to take you down this path. And I chose to survive, not in the in the physical sense, because I did not really have the choice of surviving. I mean, I, my life was never compromised. But the choice for me was um, that I could have a positive disposition. I could really try to handle things with grace. And that's what I chose. Um, and so part of that is, though, speaking up for myself and telling people when things aren't working for me, when I'm incapable of doing something or when I don't want to do something because it's going to hurt. Um, And I really kind of developed my voice for advocacy and my advocacy disposition on myself. I was my first client. Um, And so I figured out what worked and what didn't work and what felt good and what didn't feel good. Um, Probably the biggest lesson that I taught myself was that nobody really cared. (laughs) And that was a pragmatic, objective thing to learn, but nobody really cared how I felt. So I did not walk into high school every day and say, well, today it's my shoulder that hurts, or I had swim team practice yesterday and I really hurt this arm because I was overcompensating for my back. I didn't tell people when something was um, pinching me for an entire day, um, because nobody really cared about that. What they wanted was they wanted the big picture. Can you go to the amusement park or can you not? Are you gonna be on my relay in the swim meet or are you not? Um, And so I learned when to give the big picture and when it was important for my friends to really, in order to appreciate me, to really dive in to understand the details about my physical, impairment and then also the emotional part that went with that, you know, do you guys understand how frustrating it is for me to be in this position and that sort of thing. And, and I kind of, you know, that did not come super easily, but it came organically. And I think that's really important and a really true thing, um, to me is that I was able to develop those skills on myself. Um, And then, of course, there's nothing that fires a mom's heart more than advocating for their children. And my Jack is now 10 years old. Um, Jack was, um, he had a very, very long go at expressive language. He was not an early talker. He um, is a very gross motor driven child. He remains a very gross motor driven child. And so I had to talk for Jack oftentimes just to get his wants and needs met. Um, You know, I had to order for him in restaurants. I had to tell even my family sometimes, Jack wants this, he's saying orange juice. It sounds nothing like orange juice, but he wants orange juice. Or um, no, he's not really anxious about blood work, but he doesn't like the Band-Aid. You know, I've had to say those things for Jack his entire life. And what I've learned in that is the nuances of how to communicate, when to communicate, um, the things that he can do for himself and the things that he cannot do for himself, when to push him to use his language or to use other modes of communication In order to express his wants and needs and now just to communicate um, because he is more communicative. And when I, you know, know to pick my battles and that he's not really going to do it and if he um, needs to, if he wants to function and succeed in an environment, then, you know, maybe it's time for me to pick it up. And so, from a from a communication standpoint, I cut my teeth definitely advocating for Jack. Um, but that kindergarten discussion was what just fueled this fire that I could never put out because I thought, gosh, what what our argument was about was least restrictive environment. It was an inclusion argument. And um, I became so passionate about, inclusion and finding the right place for my child and at least giving him the option for my child. And it kind of honestly made a, um, a mandate in our family and it's something by which we abide still to this day. And this, and this is how my husband and I do things for our children is we feel like we want to keep every door open for our children until they close them so you know if my our older son griffin is a swimmer and the example with that is you know we don't know if he wants to swim in college we don't know if he um, even wants to continue to club swim right now he loves that but maybe someday he says you know i don't really want to do this i want to just do summer league swimming or i don't want to swim at all anymore Until that's his decision, we will continue to open every door for swimming for him. So that means, you know, we're gonna do the Saturday morning practices and we're gonna um, follow the nutritional guides that the swim team suggests and we're going to pay the the swimming um, cost and we're going to open those doors for him until he says, "I, you know, don't want to go down that path anymore. We do that academically for him um, and for both of our children. That's really something that was kind of born out of that inclusion um, experience that we had. The biggest thing that was born out of it though was that I took my law practice, which until that time was a general practice, and said, I wanna help more people with disabilities. I wanna help families that are in positions like mine, and I want to get them information. I wanna give them a voice. I either wanna coach them, or if they feel so overwhelmed that they can't do it themselves, I wanna do it for them. I wanna step in as an advocate for them, and I wanna do special education advocacy. So I dove into training, I bought a billion books. I um, listened to podcasts. I attended webinars. Um, I just really tried to learn as much as I could about special education, and I opened the doors of my law practice to special education as a result. And my life is forever different. Uh, forever different as a result. Um, in narrowing my law practice. What I ended up doing is the majority of my practice now focuses on people with disabilities. I do um, a little bit of divorce work still. Most of my divorce work involves a child with a disability as well. And then I do special needs estate planning as well. I I do still some stuff that's a general practice, but over 80% of my legal work that I do in my other business, which is in Kentucky, I do, um, I, I help families that have children with disabilities. Um, so that kind of leads to the rest of my career. I was a teacher, then I became a lawyer. Um, I'm definitely a mom first, and that advocacy spirit just kind of naturally grew as an undertone to all of my roles um, in in my professional life. Um, That's me professionally, but who am I? I love those things and that is definitely what I do. But if you wanna know what else I'm doing, I'm probably at a pool. My family loves to swim. We love, I always say we're chlorine addicts. If you could be addicted to chlorine, that's what we are. If it's summertime, we're swimming at our neighborhood pool. If it's wintertime, we're probably at a swim meet with our oldest son, Griffin. Um, Jack and I go swim laps. He does a special Olympic swim team. Um, So he and I are swimming two or three times a week throughout the winter. We're just year long, go to the pool kind of people. I also like to surf, it's kind of a new passion of mine. I um, learned how to surf for my 40th birthday present. It's something that I planned for years. In fact, I had the opportunity to learn how to surf before I turned 40 and I was like, nope, I'm gonna do it when I'm 40. Um, And so I love to surf. I don't need the big waves, I don't need big challenge. I just like to play in the water. I like to, sometimes it's just like swim out a little bit, surf back into the beach, swim out a little bit, surf back into the beach, but I love it. And that's me. And I do it my way. I don't have to do it, you know, some kind of like crazy, um, scary surfing our favorite place to go is Key West. We, um, I, I am lucky enough that my family has a home in Key West. My kids love Key West. We ride bikes there. We go to the park. There's this water park that we love. I like the beach. The rest of the people in my family don't love the beach, but they suffer through the beach. Um, and so that's something that's, that, that is very deep in our souls is just riding our bikes and tolling around town in Key West, drinking a Cuban coffee um, and listening to Jimmy Buffett. That's what, that's what we love to do. My husband and I actually are both parrot heads. We were parrot heads before we got married. Um, that we are friends from high school, and that was something that we always had in common with Jimmy Buffett. And when we started dating, we said, "You know what? We this is this is it. This is meant to be because we both love Jimmy Buffett." And um, that's kind of a, a foundation in our in our marriage. Um, I love to read. I read, what I try to do is I'm very goal oriented. So I try to read a novel one, first and then I alternate with some kind of nonfiction. Usually it's something I'm reading for work. So um, I like to read about um, you know, different experiences that people with disabilities have led um, or have experienced. I like to read about educational best practice, special education law kind of stuff. Um, sometimes it's just like a compendium from a Um, from a conference that I've been to, which is kind of dry, but you know, if I don't set it out on my reading schedule, then I might not get to it. Um, I love to read with my kids. My, both of my kids and I have reading um, book clubs. And um, so I'm always reading whatever they're, so one thing that they're both reading. um, And that's really just kind of a way that we bond. It's always been the way that I teach my kids. You know, I taught them how to go to the dentist by buying a book about going to the dentist. I taught them soccer with a book about soccer. Um, So that's a a very strong value to us. And then kind of the last piece, and I'm not super good at this, but if I'm true to myself, um, then I really, really, really try to focus on self-care. My life is extremely busy, extremely stressful. If you wonder how I do it all, I don't watch TV. That's the secret, I watch one show. Um, And so, and and right now I get to watch morning TV, which I, I love the morning news. Um, but that's only because I'm launching this business during the COVID-19 pandemic, and so I'm home with my children in the morning. Um, But I try very, very hard to maintain a lot of self-care. So I enjoy doing yoga, I try to meditate every day, I do go get acupuncture, I like to take walks. Um, I love that alone time. I think that's so important for me to recharge and for me to maintain uh, my relationship with myself and to fuel myself so that i am better for my clients and for this business ashley barlow company and for my children and my family and to be a sister and a friend and a daughter and all of the other hats that i wear that are also important um, to me so all of those things sound happy and bubbly and beachy and fun and and sunshine and roses and something that's Also extremely important to me is conflict. And that sounds so weird. I love conflict. And I can't say I necessarily love conflict, but I believe that conflict is important. Because if everybody were the same, and if everybody agreed to stuff, we would never get better. And I love getting better. I always say conflict yields effective change. I don't go to conflict. I don't stir things up to be conflict. Like I said, I try to kind of keep doors open for my children, but I don't insert myself into their lives. I don't insert myself into conflict in my professional life. But if I see conflict, I don't clash. I don't run away from it. I don't see impasse. I don't see, well, we reached an impasse and now we go to court. I see, well, no, is it no? Let's see if we can think outside the box. Let's see if we can get someplace else because if we're stuck here, we've forgotten about the child. And I love in special education to get to here and then to think, okay, there's something we haven't thought of and we need to get around it. That's the foundation of my advocacy is yielding the effective change that comes after conflict. The conflict is something that we don't love. And I think we have to lean into it. We have to lean into our anxiety. We have to lean into those terrible feelings that we feel when somebody isn't understanding us or when somebody doesn't agree with us or when something is impossible to occur that we thought we could ask for. I think those are all really important feelings. But what we have to do is we have to step outside the conflict think outside the box, and that way we get to something that's very meaningful, unique to the child, unique to the circumstance, unique to all of the different factors that go into establishing the right plan and the right programming for um, children that are on IEPs. So conflict, I, I, I don't like to say I like it, but at the same time, I am not intimidated by conflict, and it's a very important part of my life. Um, and so I think that's a, a, an important thing to talk about. So with this company, what do I want to give you? Like I said, I wanna give you that basic knowledge. If you find yourself on a Friday night, um, just craving information and so frustrated and not knowing where to start, I want to solve those things for you. My skills as a teacher should be able to give those to you in a sequential, meaningful, organized way that it makes sense to you. So we're going to start off with some really basic information in this business, a a six-part series that is going to provide just very basic special education knowledge. We're going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about vocabulary, all those acronyms, all that alphabet soup. We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about what all the documents mean. What is the... um, What is the IEP? What is an evaluation form look like? What's an eligibility form look like? We're gonna talk about all those things so that you can familiarize yourself with those, so that you really understand what those documents are. We're going to talk about the people, the professionals, and what the roles of the professionals are. We're going to talk about behaviors. We're going to talk about behaviorists. We're going to talk about occupational therapists and music therapists and that kind of stuff. And we're also going to talk about the people that are at the heart of the IEP. We're going to talk about the children that have disabilities, and we're going to talk about their behaviors, and we're going to talk about their executive planning function and their ability to um, visually process things. We're going to learn what all of that stuff means so that we're looking at the whole person who's really at the center of this advocacy and the center of the law. We're going to talk about parents' rights and what parents are entitled to, and we're going to talk about schools' obligations and schools' rights and what what their part is in the advocacy process. My hope is that I can give you that basic information and then we're gonna take some deep dives and I'm gonna start uploading documents and videos that get really specific like a series on dyslexia, a series on behavior, a series on children that have vision impairments, um, effective preschool strategies, adult transition. I wanna give you that specific information as well. We'll go through all of that And what we're gonna do is we're gonna educate, we're gonna advocate, and we're gonna collaborate. If I can give you the information so that you educate yourself, and then you can advocate for children with disabilities, no matter what side of the table you're on, no matter if you're the parent, you're a related service professional, you're a teacher, you're somebody else that works in the school like a teacher's assistant or a um, a, a cafeteria monitor, or if you're somebody in the community like a coach or a doctor or somebody that works as a tutor and you're just trying to help somebody to get that information, I'm going to equip you with the information so that you can sit at the table and you can really work to find the best solutions for the child. Ultimately, I feel so lucky that this is my experience and that I get to share it with you. I think we're about to embark on a wonderful journey. It's really exciting for me and I just can't wait to share it with you. Come along, we're gonna have fun.